So let's introduce Lisa. Lisa is Lisa Frechette, holds an advanced degree in counseling and education. In addition, she is an artist and clothing designer. Transforming to Joy is Lisa's first book. As a transformative mentor to individuals who love someone struggling with addiction, Lisa offers a creative approach. In group settings, she offers book talks and facilitates healing workshops. And I thank Lisa for, for coming and be willing to talk so openly tonight in this sinful conversation. And the subject this evening of our conversation is expressing your truth. And which is a subject that I'm very passionate about. I'm gonna try real hard not to talk because a lot of these people hear me talk every day. <laughs> we're here to listen to you. But why did you choose to discuss this particular topic? Well, I knew I had to, I needed to have like a focus for our discussion this evening. And at first I was thinking just like expressing, like how do we express ourselves? And I know through my journey um, in life that I started ex really expressing myself after the death of my infant son, who was my third child. And, and I found I was offered this painting technique that I just did. Um, and I did it for years and many years later someone said to me, you know, that was really therapeutic It was really like a beautiful way to work through your grief and it really surprised me because I didn't think I was Expressing grief through my paintings. I didn't think it was therapeutic. It just felt good um, But I can see in retrospect that that was a really true statement and so I was thinking again as planning for this discussion. It was like all right expression. Maybe how will that go and then um, really what it is, is expressing my experience. So when I can express my experience uh, to myself, when I can communicate it to myself, um, it's like a light is being, a light is be beaming down on, say it's a difficult emotion. It could be an everyday occurrence or maybe it's a, it is a trauma, but it's like a light is being beamed on it. And it, it kind of, there's something about just acknowledging it and naming it that that frees it in a way and I feel lighter and freer and I can see the difference in my life when I don't do that so like uh, in my younger years um I didn't really Lisa, Lisa they're asking if you can turn up your volume turn up my volume can I I don't know uh how's this can everyone hear me? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me better now. Is that better? Okay. okay. Thank um, you. So our truth is whatever is happening within us or outside of us. What's, you know, things that are happening out in the world or things that are bubbling up inside of us. And so I, I kind of put that expressing our truth or expressing your truth together as a phrase because it's freeing. We feel lighter when we're able to do it, and it's it's become my way of life. So I call it like if I get a charge with something in life, like um, some kind of charge, something, some kind of anxiety, or someone says something, and I I just feel uncomfortable. I don't know what it is. It's kind of like this vague thing around me. If I can look at it and name what that thing is, again, it just frees it. Um, but if I, if I just carry around, what happened in my younger years is I would just carry around all these vague stresses and things that I wasn't able to name. And I literally was getting physically ill and not feeling 
good in my body, just feeling anxious and being uh, unable to identify the little things. So now as things come up on a day-to-day -day basis, I have ways that I can name my experiences for myself so that my life is freer and lighter and filled with more joy, really, even if it's a difficult uh, emotion or if it's a messy one. So expressing our truth, and then there are, of course, there's countless ways that we can express ourselves, which we'll come to later. But that part about the truth is, um, again, it's like every little everyday occurrences as well as the traumas that we have in life. Um, so that's, that's my offering, I, I believe, like in, in my life's journey as well as um, how I'm choosing to live my life. And, and that's why I'm happy to share it with all of you tonight. Yeah, um, that um, my, my calling is, is for women. I have all my, my offerings are women only. It's uh, not that I have anything against men, but it changes the dynamics and I wanted to create a safe space for women. So that's basically what I do. And in our conversations, um, our daily conversations, we have the Zenful conversations, a daily ongoing uh, conversation, which actually we're in our fourth year of that every day, which is amazing. Um, but in the reason that I actually do that is, is again, be, for my own healing. It's, it's why I started it, why I do it. Um, and a good portion of my life, I did not honor myself. I would say that I always was a very big people pleaser. So just living your truth, um, I find very important as a part of honoring ourselves. And so the expressing the truth, when you said expressing the truth, I'm like, wow, because living my truth is huge for me. So this expressing your truth is just a bit of a different spin on it. Um, and um, what does it actually mean to be true to yourself though? What, what is the core of what we're talking about? For me, it's like the opposite of pretending. Um, so I can pretend that, I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. So I can pretend that I was really good at pretending like in my 20s and early 30s, like it, like I want, the first line in my book is I wanted the perfect family and worked really hard at achieving what I thought that looked like. And even though there were all these red flags around me, I ignored it because I, I really wanted to have this perfect life. And I, I just, again, I was pretending and I was not being true to myself, ignoring the red flags that were all around me. And, and gradually, and really I have to say, the real opening for me um, into expressing my truth was the unexpected um, illness and short life of my infant son. So he was born unexpectedly ill. I lived in the neonatal ICU with him. It was very, um, retreat like you know there were no it was 1996 there were no cell phones which was great thank god um and it 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 um watching his little life and holding that little life for those three months and then watch being with him as he died it he taught me about love really the whole focus his whole teaching to me was about love and, and it was like after his life and death i just wasn't the same person but i was also really miserable i was very confused too because 
I thought that love looked a certain way. And like you said, Jen, it was a lot of people pleasing and it was not, mm. there was very little self-care in, in that. Mm -hmm. And it was, again, I was just pretending what, I was doing what I thought I should be doing or what I thought other people thought I should be doing. And there's that should word as well. That should word was huge for me. So I think that the truth is not a should. Um, the truth is not people pleasing. The, the truth is really about, for me, the truth is really about love. Like if I'm, if I'm being honest with myself and those around me, I am more of a loving presence um, and a caring presence. And the other word that comes to me is um, making choices with clarity, rather uh, making choices from clarity rather than from panic, from the shoulds, from uh, any kind of warped thinking that's the opposite of love. Um, right. And probably fear. So it's like my choices, when I'm speaking the truth to myself, I'm able to, even though it's not easy, um, I, am, I am living with greater love for myself and other people. Would you mind um, describing that experience of you and Thomas, that, that, um, that opportunity you had for those few months? Because um, I heard you, uh, I, I, I know the story, and it honestly sounded like a beautiful experience, if I well, dare say that. Well, if I, I dare I, I say that. Say it, was, it was also a very interesting pregnancy. My daughter, Jen, is here. Hi, Jen. Um, so she is my oldest child. And then I had a second son um, two years after Jen. Um, and then Thomas, I was pregnant unexpectedly with, I'll just, I will share in this women's group that I was, we were using birth control and I got pregnant. Um, oh. <laughs> and and um, so he was six years uh, or about six years um, or eight years, I think after Jen. Um, and the pregnancy, it was like my best pregnancy. People were like, I just like radiated. I made a lot of art during the pregnancy. It felt really different from the other pregnancies. It might sound like a weird thing. It felt really different from the other two. And I had this feeling through the pregnancy that this baby was gonna be my spiritual teacher. And then I went in, you know, labor started and gave birth on his due date. And his, as soon as he came out, he couldn't breathe. His, he had what we learned later, bilateral diaphragmatic eventration. A lot of words to mean his diaphragm worked the opposite way ours does. Doctors had no idea what to do. Um, and they whisked him away to the neonatal ICU. And um, I followed and that hospital allowed parents to, to live in the hospital. Well, other parents didn't live in the hospital, the only one. Um, and so I had this room in um, the pediatric department and and so I would, my exercise literally was going up the two flights and back. That was my, and then once I got a little bit better, I would walk around the hospital a couple of times a day. That was my exercise. And I knew I had to be healthy for him. So literally I was, the NICU at that time was one big room with all these babies in it, with all these machines going, because they were all hooked up to whatever they were hooked up to. And I had my little corner and I literally held him his whole life. And, um, Unlike a healthy baby, you know, you have a healthy baby and other people hold them and you go out and people ooh and ah, and, but it was, it was, it was, no one really could come to the NICU to visit because it was a NICU. A, a few people, my parents would come every day, but um, so it was this, it was this, 
isolating. It was like, but I was with all the nurses and doctors too. So it was, it was a really interesting experience um, of uh, introspection. And I, I would just like look at him and like, I knew he was teaching me something. I just, I would just, first of all, there was the shock and the trauma. And I will say his whole life that yes. I was in probably a trauma state. Um, and then we lived briefly at home for a short time. And then we were in the pediatric ICU, which is where he died. Um, so that whole period was, and actually, I don't know if Jen, no, my Jen was here. Um, so Thomas died seven days before Jen's birthday. And, and it was the summertime. And, it, and I remember um, thinking, how are we going to celebrate my daughter's eighth birthday? Like, how are we going to do this? Like, no one could come mm. to the house. I have this sick baby because we, it's kind of like COVID. Like people we couldn't have germs around them. So no one really came to the right. house. And, or the, or the NICU when we were there. And I was like, how can I, how can we have a birthday party? Like, how is this going to be? And so I had that little bit of anxiety about it. And then <clears throat> I don't, I can't even say what I would just call it divine intervention. It was, I call it grace, really. It was grace. I didn't work on it. It all went away and I just knew everything would be fine. And I wasn't going to think about it or stress about it. I just knew that we would somehow be able to honor <clears throat> my daughter Jenna's birthday when she turned eight. And interestingly enough, Thomas died seven days before her birth, um, before her birthday. And, uh, and we did have a lovely birthday celebration for her, but I, I, I wasn't planning that Thomas would die, but I just, it just, what do I say? It, it, it felt like a divine timing sort of thing. Mm. And Jen, I know, I hope you're listening to this. So Jen was turning eight. We said to her, what would you like to do? We had a little birthday party for her in the day. And she said she wanted to go to the cemetery and have pizza where Thomas was buried. Oh, wow. And so that became like a family ritual of going to the cemetery oh, wow. on Thomas's birthday and death days. And we would have pizza at the cemetery and have like a little picnic with the kids, no. and, which was a really sweet uh, experience and which became a ritual for many years. So absolutely. Um, then he, you know, he, he really opened me to, like I said, to this love and there were Well, the, not, I don't want to, I don't want to bit in too much, but from what, from what I'm gathering though, so there was like, he, the baby could not speak. So there's no, um, there was a lot of communication that was done in a different form. Yes. And it, it sounds miraculous actually i mean it sounds horrible and, I, and devastating i cannot imagine it myself so for me to even have the goal to say that it sounds like a beautiful experience but the way you have heard it described by you it, it just sounded um spiritual yeah well jen actually i will tell you my new favorite word this year is the word and a and d because it was beautiful and it was ah, ah. it was both at the same time ah Right. Before we get to what you're, you're going to talk about, I just wanted to say you, you talked about not living. Um, let me just let me get that real quick here. Uh, I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others expected of me. That happens to be the number one regret if we're fortunate enough to have time to reflect. According to Bronnie, Bronnie Ware, who is an Australian nurse who accompanied the dying, um, 
she she noted the top five regrets that kept coming up and that was number one not living a life true to ourselves that's why this expressing your truth is such an important conversation and um uh, i just um, would like to just read these five top regrets and then i'm going to turn it over to you um but the regret number one was i wish i'd had the courage to live a life true to myself not the life others expected of me. Number Regret number two was, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Um, regret three is, I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. Regret four is, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And regret five is, I wish I had let myself be happier. And to me, those being the top five regrets is so sad because we could change every single one of them today beginning doing that so uh yeah share with us how we go about doing that my love <laughs> well i like that that last one letting myself be happy because that, there is some choice there is some choice in in that and, and i think that's part of the reason and is one of my new favorite words you know it's, it's like acknowledging your truth, which can be really messy, really confusing. Hey, excuse me. I I'm sorry. Lisa, can you get a little closer to your computer? <clears throat> Is that better? Thank you, Bob. Sorry, I'm sorry, okay. but my wife and I are listening and it's hard to hear. No, thank you so much. Um, I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Uh, well, how it's messy, how it can be messy. All right. So, our, and so that truth um, is like I said earlier, it's like freeing. It's a way to free ourselves up to feel lighter. And it, it does, open, even though it might be hard to do, it does lighten our lives and it does open us to be able to be happier and more joyful in our lives, right along with the challenges. Hmm. Um, well, I'm just thinking if, if because honestly, it took me a heck of a long time to even realize that I wasn't living my truth, nor even know what it meant. Um, and it, I mean, I, it, it took me into my 50s <laughs> before I was conscious. So um, how would we start? How do we, how, where, do we, where do we start if we haven't realized that yet? Well, here is those of you who have a piece of paper and pencil. Um, and it, this is really simple because it, it is messy. And, and so this is something that I have practiced and I continue to practice myself because when I'm in some kind of confusion or anxiety or grief or any kind of messy experience, I need to tease out what the heck is going on inside of me. So one of the ways to do that is to, to notice what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind and what what, what about spirit? So this is what I'm inviting you to do is to just write down these things, body, mind, spirit. Just like that. And just leave some it's going to be a test at the end. No, no, no test at the end. <laughs> I'm only teasing. I'm only teasing. I'm just teasing. This is for us to understand ourselves a little bit better. And so... I think one of the things is like if we're in any kind of, especially if it's a trauma situation, it's like what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind, and what's happening in my spirit. 
And so if we're talking about how do we want to express those things, um, but it's like, how do we, what's, what's, it's kind of like, I like to write these three words down because it helps me to tease out what my experience is. And then it allows me to come up with ways to express whatever it is that's going on. So for me, like for my body, anything with the body, so I'll just give you some hints. So, so for me with my body, something that helped me is any kind of movement. So I'm gonna write down movement and what, ha what helps me is movement. Walking in nature is something that really helps me. Um, helps me to collect my thoughts or experience and it also helps, to, helps me to name it and to express it. Um, and then sometimes yoga is helpful for me. So whatever comes up for you, just jot down like what makes you feel good in your body. So another key one for me in coming to my body, especially when I've after um, significant losses um, is drinking a lot of water. Seems like a little thing, but even though I didn't have the best diet after significant deaths in my life, drinking a lot of water, it was like I knew that that would be really important. So just write down for yourself, and you don't, you don't have to share it, you're doing this for yourself. So what is helpful for you? What are some helpful ways in your body that you can maybe name your experience? So you're talking about naming it as well as expressing it. Like what are some ways that might be helpful for you in when you think of your body? What is helpful for you there? Just, just see what pops up. This is when an energy, a harsh energy comes our way. How be, do we, how harsh. do we comfort our body? It, it can be harsh or expressing it. So I, I, I'm thinking of this as naming our, naming what our truth is, naming our experience as well as how expressing it in some way. So we're talking about naming it, which is the truth. And we're naming our truth and we're also expressing it and how we do these two things through our body, mind, and spirit. Um, and so it doesn't have to be harsh. And that's one of the, um, mm. sometimes it, they are the more traumatic things that happen in life. And sometimes it's just like this, the, um, just like everyday living things. Uh, for example, um, my schedule has been more stacked the last couple of weeks and I don't like to have a stacked schedule. And I was getting anxious about it, and, but there was nothing in my schedule that I wanted to take out. And so I, I had my truth. So I had to, I went out and I, I was walking the beach because I, I could feel all the stuff swirling around inside of me. So I just walked the beach and I was just naming for myself what, what was going, what was going on. It was like, I don't really like a stacked schedule. I need more space. Um, is there anything, like, I feel anxious just thinking about it, like, I'm not going to sleep well, I'm going to be, like, stressed out, and I, I not named and acknowledged all of these fears, like, of, of what a stacked schedule meant for me, and once I named them, and then I said, okay, do I want to be in anxiety and stress over my stacked schedule, and no, I don't, I want to be peaceful and calm, and I want to enjoy all these opportunities that have just come my way, and so, just naming it while I was walking really helped me. And then I came back and I just wrote, I just jotted a few things down as well, just because I, I knew that I had the ability to shift from the anxiety and feeling maybe overwhelmed into feeling more peaceful and calm and enjoying what I was doing. Because I was enjoying all, they were all, were all things I enjoyed. So right. 
So it can be like everyday things like that or the really much more challenging and muddier parts of life. Totally clarifying. Yeah, so you're just naming what they are. So there, there's our body. And then in our mind, some of the things that help me from my, in my mind is journaling. Not everyone likes to journal. You don't have to journal if you don't want to, but journaling helps me or writing it down. So for my mind, it helps me sort out my thoughts. Um, it helps me clarify my thoughts. It helps me name my experience and it helps me to express whatever is going on. Um, and maybe you want to, the other things when I think about what's happening in my mind is talking to a trusted friend. So a trust, talking out whatever your situation is because our friends, our trusted friends can really help us to pinpoint what's going on. They, they can often will help us to be able to name our experience more clearly than we are. So we, we need each other, we need people. So it could have to do with um, journaling or talking, talking out with a friend. It could be working with a therapist. Um, it could be being part of a support group. And I will come back to um, after the death of my infant, I did join a group and I'm, I consider myself, I think like I don't really like groups, like group, group things. Um, it's not my forte, I don't like love groups. Um, however, I did join a group after Thomas's death and it was called Compassionate Friends and it was a support group for parents who have lost children. So I read every, and I became the librarian for the group and I read everything about it, about what happens in grief, like, cause I didn't really understand it. So I read all about what this would be like. And that was, it gave me information. It gave me information about what I was going through. So, and that helped satisfy my mind, which of course our body, mind and spirit, they're all interwoven. So it's not like they're in isolation. They do all work together, but teasing them out like we are doing now is helpful in our, our, our ability to name and maybe later express what our experience is. So, so there's a little bit about mind. And then spirit is maybe a little bit trickier. Um, when I think of spirit, for me, um, communing in nature, especially the ocean, um, is my sacred place. Um, it could be a church, a synagogue, it could be a meditation group, it could be, um, it could be making art, it could be singing, it could be dance, it could be, and again, if you're talking about dance or something like that, like, or art, that can encompass your body, mind, and spirit. So again, we're just kind of like trying to tease out how, what way, this is a simple, simple way for us to be able to name what is happening happening inside of us. Um, and uh, this is, I know that after Thomas's death, one huge thing for me was, what did I do wrong to deserve this? I must've done something wrong. Like, wh what did I do wrong to deserve? And I couldn't even talk about it, but just like this thing that was just like, it was like a fog around me. For years, I had this fog of thinking I did something wrong. To What did I do to deserve this? Like, did I do something wrong? Did I do anything wrong? And, and or I'm getting punished. Is, am I being punished for, for doing, you know, did I, am I being punished to have had a baby that was born sick and died? Like, who did that happen to? Like, I, I, I didn't really know anyone who that had happened to. So that whole conversation kind of with spirit or God or whatever you want to call that, it was, or the universe, it was just, it, it literally, it was around me for years before I was able to gain clarity around 
I didn't do anything wrong. And I didn't do anything wrong. Bottom line, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, so yeah, it's real important to recognize um, the the energy because otherwise we store it in our bodies. And at some point it manifests somehow, some way or another. And yeah, I would say in my past, <laughs> I've gotten stuck in denial mode as it not happening. So I would say that this would definitely clarify and help help work through those uh, those, those strong emotions for sure. Uh, as far as you, as, as far as feeling like things are our fault, um, I would certainly think you felt that with your with Adam. Well, and this is where it got really a little bit muddy. So Adam was my second child and he, um, during his teenage years, it was clear that he had issues with alcohol and, um, and he did. And um, he did find recovery briefly uh, for a year and then he thought he could drink socially and he didn't, he died drunk, um, driving drunk. Luckily he was by himself in the car and he didn't hurt anyone else, mm -hmm. um, but he did and I, but during those years when he was in high school, I, I, I definitely felt like that was my fault. Um, like, what did I do to cause this? Like, I definitely took the blame. And, and again, I joined my second support group, me who doesn't like groups, um, which was Al-Anon, which is a support group for those of us who love someone struggling with alcohol, alcohol issues or um, any kind of addic or addiction. And um, Adam had alcohol and other drugs. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned about addiction. Again, it was kind of like, kind of what we're talking about now, because I was, it was hard for me to name all these feelings that were going on. And Al, that, the Al-Anon group helped me to learn about addiction, like what that looked like. When I heard the word people pleasing in those 12-step rooms, I was like, oh my God, there's a word for how I've been my whole life. like. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, I've been doing this my whole life. I didn't know that there was a word for it. People pleasing. Um, so again, that was like another layer. And I did have years of, of that as well, of that guilt. Um, but what I did learn there, and I remember sobbing the first time I heard it, was we, we can't control, we, can't, we didn't cause, we can't control, and we can't cure our loved ones drinking or any addiction. And I remember just, because I thought that, do all I was his mother of course I caused it of course I should be able to fix it um, and it was just such a relief to know that again it, it wasn't my fault but then I also had to look at my part in his addiction as well I had to look at my my part and that's what really the book that I wrote about our relationship is all about it was like I started to jerk fortunately during his life shift from reacting to his reacting to his alcoholic behaviors um, really coming from fear, changing it to and shifting it to responding with love. And um, so that's the title, the subtitle of the book is um, responding to my son's struggle with addiction. And, and I put, you know, the word responding is there because that was the big change for me that I made is responding to him rather than reacting that knee jerk, like, why are you doing this? Or, you know, just getting into a combative, um, conversation. It was, it was, I was able to take a step back and we were able to have a loving relationship, whether or not he was drinking or not.
so 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 powerful so powerful for you to uh to live in such a high vibration having these these are two major things <laughs> um and what what's what's interesting is um there's two completely different perspectives on this is two completely different situations on how they happened so for you to actually treat that as an opportunity to um to learn and grow in love in the energy of love is is quite amazing and i suspect that you have a, a quite an unusual beautiful relationship with your daughter too yes you know because you both lost the same loved ones and it just uh just so powerful lisa um i'm just uh, amazed that you live in such a high um vibration and such a beautiful spirit that you put forth so i'm I'm done with my letters with my with my words did everybody write some stuff down i know my friend bob is here and bob has said to me you're like walking hope for people <laughs> and and i will have to um and and when he first said that i was like what like you know i'm just kind of doing my life but when he said that I will have to say part of that is what inspired me to actually have this conversation with you, Janice, because it, 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 if there's something in my story that can help other people and my little techniques that help me that can, or my little strategies that can help you, um, that's for me why I'm here. It's like, it's one way that I can share the love that I've been gifted and graced in my life. So, mm. um, that's great. Does anybody have anyone, anybody want to share? Anything they wrote? Jody says we didn't cause control. And what was the third thing? You can't call it, you didn't you didn't cause it or control it. You can't control it. And what oh, what else? Yeah, she's asking what you said. What did I say? We can't cause it, we can't control it, and we can't. Oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank on it too. Does anyone know what the three C, the third C is? Bob, you must know. Cure. Cure. Ah, uh, nope. Oh, is it cure? Yes. You can't fix it. Yeah, you can't cure it. Thank you. Can't you. fix it. You can't <laughs> fix it. I forgot my three C's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, and honestly, we do feel that. You know, we feel that on so many different levels and so many different things. That's um, right. That's right. And that's why one of the things that I really learned in that, in the Al-Anon group is it, it wasn't just for my life with Adam, it was like for all of life. The, what I've learned through those steps really apply to every part of life. It's not just um, someone who, not, just not, it's not just someone who uh, is struggling with alcoholism or addiction. So right. it's, it's a way of life really. Right. Does anybody want to share? Not one person? <laughs> Cheryl does. I'll share. Okay. Hi, Lynn. Hi there. So first, I want to say Lisa is a dear friend of mine, my very best friend, starting from college. And the essence of her journey and just all her beauty, inside and out, has been an inspiration in my life. And no, we've been, there was a period of time we were out of touch for a little bit, but when we reconnected, we just 
picked up right where we left off. And every time I have a conversation, I walk away feeling just good and loved. And like, I learned something and I have somebody I can trust. And, and something you said today, Lisa, I just want to, um, I have a question about that. So we talked about um, acknowledging our, our own true feelings and doing what makes us happy. And then there's that whole side of people pleasing. And I've had a recent experience in my life where I have three sons and I think Lisa and I are probably a lot alike. I've spent my life as a people pleaser and everything has been about being a good mom and, and being a good daughter and a good wife and doing what I need to do for my family. Like I've put, that's been where I focus my energy and my sons are now grown. My youngest has graduated from college and um, the last few years, there's been a lot of stuff that happened that some of it was kind of tough. And, um, and my husband and I um, got a condo near the beach, which was a lifelong dream. And, and I am like so totally happy, but I had trouble settling into that in the beginning because I felt like this, this thing that we did had to be about my family. And in part it was, it is a way to bring my kids together in a family gathering place. But like, we're really happy here on our own. And I, in the beginning was feeling like I had to invite everybody, my sister-in-laws and everybody. And, but we're kind of happy, like just doing our thing here. And I, I was having trouble just acknowledging that, like I finally did something that made me happy. And there was so much guilt around it. And it was one of my sister-in-laws that called it out and said, you just sound like you feel so guilty about feeling happy. And why is that? And when you were kind of sharing all that, I thought about that. Like, you know, when you finally like kind of acknowledge that and do like I, for me, it was doing something that made me truly feel happy. And it just felt maybe if it wasn't about everyone else, it felt too selfish. And I, it was like a big kind of guilt struggle that I think I'm working through, but not totally. Tell, it's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. <laughs> um, it really is an epidemic. Don't you think Lisa? Uh, it, it, I did not realize it either. That's I came to this space um, in search of my own healing because, because I was a people pleaser and eventually you know, body, mind, or somewhere is going to wave the right white flag. And that's how I came to it. But what blew my mind was how many people that are like this, how many women, especially are like this. Um, I mean, actually, I think men too. I think men too. Um, but I just connected with the women and um, uh, it, it's, it's a process to work through. Um, and and, and I, and I got to say that I think the seed will always be there, right? I think it's something we need to be mindful of because your first instinct is to, I mean, still, no matter how long I've been working on this, is still to, you know, no. <laughs> and we somehow got selfish and self-care mixed up. Um, and it's, it's just, an, it's, it's crazy how many how how many women now i don't know if it's if it's really kind of generational if the newer generations i think in a way they they have more standards and like my like my mom and all that were way more uh subservient so i don't know if it's a generational thing do you think lisa that it's it's getting less like that or no 
I hope so. <laughs> I yeah. hope it is. Um, I, and I, actually, I do see it. Um, I do see it in some of the young women that I know that they don't seem to be as um, subservient, maybe. But, but I still think I, I. I will also say I think it's still lingering. Um, I, yeah. I, I would say it's probably still lingering as well. And I. Uh, um, and I think I also think Lynn to get back to what you were saying and right. what both Jen was saying is that people pleasing and that I think everything in our and that self care we we all need to have quiet time and it's so hard to do in our culture and so Jen that's I'm bringing in the busyness thing and all the devices and just how preoccupied so it'll be it will be interesting to see the next generation of women if they are care what what they are carrying into their um, into their um, older years. It'll be interesting to watch that. But I, I think that we all need to have that, that quiet time. And then I hope that your place gives you the quiet time to be able to like reflect on that. Like, wow, I feel guilty. Cause I know when I was younger, I wouldn't even know that I was, I wouldn't have been able to name that I was feeling guilty. I would just like felt it, but I couldn't name it. Now, like you can name it. And to me being able to name it and acknowledge it, then that's like huge. And then it's like, okay, let me, and then for me, it's like, then I, I get curious about it. Um, I get curious. It's like, well, look at this guilt. What am I guilty for? Like just kind of, and that's where for me, like journaling or walking in nature and having some quiet time just to like really like get into that guilt and kind of like just think of it as almost like a puzzle pieces, like trying to like learn about it. Like, hmm, where could that have come from? Like kind of being playful with it, being playful with the guilt or whatever feelings come up that are kind of, you know, those uncomfortable things and, and not taking it so seriously. And, and then again, teasing it apart. Where do I feel the people pleasing in my body? Where is it in my mind? Where is it in spirit? So it's kind of like that, again, that teasing apart. And then, and then how can I, how can I, you know, care for myself? How can I, how can I, one of the things I learned, um, there's a Zen master named Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a Vietnamese um, Zen master. And one of the things that I learned from him is to take all, any kind of, any kind of, you could even say guilt, anger, anything. And you just say, hello, guilt, hello, anger. You hear you are visiting me again. Um, thank you for being here. And, and really just like comforting it and talking to it and then say, okay, I'm going to set you aside now. You can go now. So I love that, that tenderness and that gentleness with, the emotions that we don't want to have. Who wants to feel guilty? Who wants to feel anxious? Who wants to feel stressed out or, you know, overwhelmed or anything uncomfortable? It's like, but when we take anything uncomfortable and name it and just kind of give it a little pat pat and, and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to play with you. I want to explore you later. I'm going to put you down now. And now I want to feel, you know, I'm going to put you. So it, it, for me, just that those simple little things uh, um, really help to, to release them. And I love that it's not, there's no shoulds, there's no judgment. Um, you're just caring for it as you would like, you know, like a, a little kitten or a puppy or a baby or, you know, talk to that uncomfortable feeling as if it's, if it's, as if it's, um, you know, something you care about rather than the old me would have been like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want to look at that. I don't want it. It doesn't exist. Like that pretending, like the avoiding it. It's, I don't want that. And being angry about it, like no nope nope and the but when we when we don't resist the experience and we acknowledge it and name it and 
treat it with care, it just kind of like, I find it just kind of like goes away. Not that it doesn't come back, um, but it, it just kind of like goes away over time. It's really kind of magical to watch that happen. I find that too, it, it, it does soften, kind of become yeah. a little bit friends with it. And, and I've been able to work through some remarkable things because of that. So it's, it's really very cool. It's a very cool process. Uh, it also, as opposed to owning it, instead of saying, I, I, you know, it, it, the, the feelings and emotions, we can keep them a little bit distance instead of really owning it, uh, you know, such as sadness. Uh, if we say, I am sad, then it, it hits us harder and, and um, we feel like we are sad. But if we would just change our language to where I feel sadness, then we can let that emotion kind of flow through us as opposed to, because uh, it just keeps that distance. And somehow that made sense to me. Uh, somehow that correlated with what you're saying, but I forgot where, where I was going to go with it too. Um, yeah, we're, we have like 10 minutes or so left, Lisa. So yeah, go ahead, yeah. Cheryl. Um, I was just going to say that uh, I was, uh, when Lynn was talking, I was, it, it reminded me of issues that I had to work through in the past. Um, I had to see counselors. I've had a lot of things up and downs happen in my life. And he identified that the reason why I don't, I don't want to get too happy because if I get too happy, something bad is going to happen after. And that has been the pattern in my life. If I like, I am the happiest in my life, something terrible happens after. So I try to just stay even keel and not allow that to happen. I don't know if it's similar. It's kind of a, it's similar to the guilt, but it's actually fear, I guess. Um, and so I guess once you name it and recognize it, then you can try and work on it, but it never really totally leaves you when it's right in you. And uh, uh, you know what I mean? Um, but I don't know, have you heard of that before where people are afraid to be happy because something bad might happen after? Yep. Oh, you have. Okay. I've had that, I've had that same experience as well. It's like, yeah, if I you know, get too happy, so what's going to happen next? Right. Right. So I think it's just, just being in that, but, and we know it's not going to stay. That that's one thing that helps me again. There's, there's my mind. Like, it's like, I can see in retrospect and, and you know, situations over time, I can see that I've had that happen where it's like, Oh, it's, it's going to cra crash or something. So it's like, so then it kind of takes away from your happiness because yeah. um, you, can't so you can just totally. say I'm happy now, but it's, it's kind of like, um, you, yeah. know it's gonna, you know that that's going to pass and that's okay. Like it's going to, there's like, it's just like our life is just flowing, flowing, and we're going to have tired times and happier times and more upbeat times and down times because we're human. We're going to have all of them. And so it's just kind of like taking them all in stride just okay so it's like I'm happy now this is great and I'm gonna fully enjoy this and and it'll pass and then I'll be in where the next part of the next thing that's gonna happen and so that that helps me too that's I would put that that kind of thing like under my mind thing and, and just, right and then kind of knowing that it's like oh there's that part of me that thinks it's I'm going to like that's kind of spoiling my happiness yeah because I've stopped myself and went okay don't be too happy <laughs> 
I've actually actually said that to myself because I just can't deal with anymore. So let's calm it down a bit. <laughs> but anyway, I, well, know. that is that 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 is one of the top five regrets: uh, not allowing ourselves to be happy. So uh, it's not it's not. Um, it's not just you apparently, right? Mm -hmm. Are there any other questions? I'd like to get a couple more questions in. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Lynn. Anybody else have any have a question? Hi, Sheena. Oh, I, I don't have a there question. I just wanted to say that um, what I work with is the difference between emotions and feelings that emotions come in they're they're there they're primal they're who we are it's not something to push away the feelings are the narrative we put around it so when i discern the emotions from the feelings and then i get into the feelings then i can become a witness and go hmm why am i creating that narrative and that that helps me in navigating these different ups and downs uh, as opposed to you, Cheryl, I, I like the ups and downs because I know whatever I'm in, the other one's coming and I might learn something from it. And I just want to close with, as Pema Chodron, many of you probably know who she is, says no feeling is permanent. And so I find that to be reassuring that we, we don't stay there all the time. It comes and then we get to witness how we're navigating it. So it wasn't really a question. It was kind of my observation. No, that's great. I think that that, I will probably, Sheena, probably put that on my list to like body, mind, emotions, emotion and feeling. Cause those two, those, those two are really important to tease out. I just think about like teasing them out. And right. Again, it's like that clarifying so that we can know how to, how to move forward with how we want, right. how we can best move forward for ourselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and it's not stagnant, like you said, life isn't stagnant. And I think, especially as we age, we, we become more comfortable with the waves, like you're saying, like the peaks and the valleys and mm -hmm. what can we learn from each thing. And, um, and, and we keep on going one breath, one step at a time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hoping for the best, but accepting it all. Yep. Okay. I'll mute myself. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. That was great. That was great. Anybody else have anything to share? Any other comments? Kim? I have a question. Um, Lisa, so when did, or can you explain how it happened that all of this creativity and projects and everything came out of such tragedy? Well, I will say it's almost all been serendipitous. So after Thomas's death, I was exposed to this painting thing and I just did it because I liked it. And so here's a painting, you know, one of my paintings and, um, and <clears throat> like Jen mentioned at the beginning, um, you know, I'm trained in counseling. I have masters in counseling and education, but I'm not trained as an artist. I just did this and I just taught it because taught it to people. And then, um, I just have been doing it since Thomas's death. And I had this after Adam died. Um, I had, uh, Adam was helping me with my art actually when he was living with me when he was in recovery and, and he knew that I, anyway, so he, he was part of the whole thing, my, my art. Um, 
and uh, I, a gallery fell into my lap, literally fell into my lap um, in Sarasota, Florida, which is where I live a lot of the time. And, um, and it, interestingly, it literally fell into my lap. And the street that paralleled the street where my gallery was on was called Adams Lane. <laughs> anyway, so meanwhile, I'm painting. I just thought I'd put my paintings on the wall and just see what would happen. And maybe like a year or so into that, um, I had this idea to put my art on clothing. And so this is, this is my Adam's red paint. I painted a painting before I was doing the clothes. I just did a painting in Adam's memory. And then about a year or so later, I started putting, translating the paintings to clothing. And so I just, this is the Adam's red painting that I'm, that's on my neck. Um, and so that was, like, I didn't plan it. It just, I'm just kind of describing, like, it just kind of unfolded. Um, and then I did, I did know the whole, all the art things I just started doing, but the book I knew I was going to write, like I knew I was going to write a, but I didn't, I didn't really want to. I don't know if you ever had, I was like, I didn't really want to, like I knew it was floating around there and I didn't really want to. And well, then I did. Um, and so here it is. And you can see that the Lotus, um, an artist friend of mine took my Adam's red painting and she I don't know how she did it, but she took the Adam's Red painting and she translated it to a lotus, which is on the cover of the book. So all those things, other than were serendipitous, I did know I was going to write a book and I eventually did do it. Um, I will say Adam channeled all of his parts um, and then my parts, he did not. Um, so, but they were all things just kind of unfolded one step. Like I didn't plan it. I didn't say, oh, I'm going to do this healing thing. It was just like, I just was doing what felt good. Like it felt good in my body and in my mind and in my spirit to paint. Um, and I guess that's what I would encourage you to. It's like, it, it doesn't, I don't think, sometimes I think we agonize over what should I do to heal or what should I do to feel. And just, it's like, whatever's going to feel, like whatever feels good. And it doesn't matter what someone else is doing. You don't have to compare it. It's like, whatever makes you feel happy. Like, just play with it play with it. And so I hope I answered your question. I guess most of the Yeah. So I couldn't have, I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned any of it that way. Like it just, like if you would have told me that I was, my son would die and I would paint a painting as memory and it'd go on clothes and then I'd write a book and there'd be a load of, like, I, I could never have thought all that up. It just wouldn't, none of it would have occurred to me. And I think that that's the beauty of what Cheryl, like the beauty of those ebbs and flows of life and, and just that quiet time and allowing that quiet time to come in and guide us to what will make us feel better. And that was someone who's been helpful for me in my life would say to me, what will make you feel better in this moment? Sometimes it was soaking in water. Sometimes it was taking a nap. Uh, sometimes it was writing, but that, so that's like a question that I ask when I'm in a challenge, like what will make me feel better in this moment? And then just, you might not feel great, but you'll feel better. So it's not about feeling great necessarily. It's like, what will make me feel a little better now? So it's like one little, one little step. So for me with the art, it's been like one little step, one little, un I would really, I'd probably use the word unfolding, one little unfolding at a time over many, many years. So, 
I want to be respectful of everybody's time tonight, though, but I want to make sure we get all the questions. Does anybody else have any comments or questions or any anything they'd like to ask Lisa while we have this opportunity? Okay, Lisa, what, what final words do you have? What would you like to say? What would you like it to leave everybody? Was there anything that you did not get a chance to say that you want to express? okay with everybody I would just like to take a quiet moment literally like a few seconds and this is something that really helps me um, and just close your eyes or just soften the eyes and look at something and just have your hands on your heart and just taking a breath in and saying let it be and taking another breath in and let it be. And a third breath in. Let it be. Whatever it is, letting it be. Letting the truth of your experience, let it be in your heart. Brings it right down, doesn't it? Lisa, thank you so very much for sharing, for being so open and so willing to, to, uh, to discuss this very important conversation. It's a very important conversation. Um, I've had a couple conversations before and never this many. Um, these are real, real questions that are deep for people to help. So uh, good going, girl. Thank you so very much for sharing you with us. And um, yeah, so Lisa has a free um, gift for everybody um, that I will tomorrow send a follow-up email to everybody that was registered and hopefully it will have the replay link. Let me just go ahead and sign everybody off right now and then uh, the recording. Thank you, everybody, for joining. Everybody stay on, though. <laughs>